I remember being so pro life in high school because I, I, nobody tempted me with losing my virginity. So that was an easy (laughs) thing to claim. Yeah. Same. It's like I'm straight edge because nobody ever offered me drugs or alcohol. Right. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Easy to not, easy to wonder how could you, if you, if never had the opportunity pass through. I mean it. And then as soon as we all did, we all failed hard. Hello and welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I, the one with the dynamic and clear voice that sounds straight off a radio, am Casey. Yeah, and I'm Sam, and I'm basically dying over here, so (laughs) I've had a cold. God, I'm already starting to cough. This is embarrassing. If I do any laughing at all during this, I don't even know why we're doing an intro. If I laugh at all during this, I'm going to just have to mute my mind cough for about five minutes. Uh, I've had this thing where, God, I mean, it's hard to... I think it's been five or six days and I don't, I feel worse. Oh my God. You've had it for six days. Yeah. I can't shake this and it's not COVID. So, okay. What day is today? Today we're recording this on a Monday. All right. For tomorrow's release. So I started getting like uh, the sniffles or whatever on, on Wednesday. And then I think it was on Thursday. I, I took an at home COVID test came up negative, but I felt like, okay like i felt a little bit worse but then friday i felt fine like no i was like oh i guess it was just like oh that kind of made its way through my body pretty quick and i felt okay and then i woke up on saturday feeling like complete shit so i got a co i scheduled like a covid test at like an urgent care not flu not covid and now it's monday and i still feel terrible like i still had a fever uh, as of this evening uh, not a high one but it's just like God, i can't i can't shake this stupid thing do you think that maybe like your liver has distilled keystone light down into like a toxic sludge and now it's dumping it into your body to spite you it's possible that uh it's doing that with all the miller light that i drink but <laughs> <laughs> i don't i haven't dipped down so low as to hit keystone what's the um the uh Natty, natty light. That's like the real, like you've plummeted into an abyss. Uh, you've had like the, the one time in my life I had natty light. Have you ever had that shit? No, I, I avoid beer altogether. Yeah, that's, that's right. But the one time in my life I had natty light, I was, maybe I've already shared this story. I don't know. I was really drunk, like very, very drunk. It was on a family vacation. I was hanging out with my brothers-in-law, sitting outside at the beach, just drinking. And that's all that was left. And I took two sips and was like, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't drink it at all. No matter how drunk I was, I was like, I can't even get this down. I'm just going to go to bed. Why am I doing this to my Dude, so my buddy, Tim, I went to, went to the little Christian school with him and stuff. And uh, great dude. Love that dude. Legendary cheapskate. <laughs> like he was the guy that would like total up how much gas you owed him for uh for taking a ride to the concert or whatever. Oh and yeah. I love those people. When I moved back to Michigan after college, I hung out with him, you know, a decent amount and like 
he shared an apartment with my buddy Jesse, who you heard on Fellowship Friday. So Tim would like refuse to pay for AC. So, you know, Michigan is not like the hottest place on earth, but it's humid as balls. And so like he'd invite me over, he'd be like, oh, we're playing video games. Come on over. So I'd go over there and we're in this little apartment. He's got he's got the AC turned off and it's like 84 degrees in the apartment. (laughs) And he would go and find the cheapest beer that he could find. It was like all about volume, right? So he he would always have a different one. It seemed like when I went over there, and they were like ones I had never heard of. These are like he's doing the like, math. He's like ounces divided by ABV price. Like, he for okay. sure is. And he like it's like when you go to Dollar General and they have like soda that you've never seen before. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's separating <laughs> in the bottle. <laughs> Yeah, you know how like when you go to the grocery store, it tells you like, you know, you're looking at two different, yeah, I don't know, pastas, right? And it's like it it tells you the cost, and then in the little bottom left, it's like price per pound or something like that, and uh, so that way you can like not have to do the math yourself. They need to start doing that at liquor stores, right? Like, (laughs) like come up with some metric, right? That includes like. A, like a bank for your buck metric when it comes to ABV ounces cost, just advertise it right there in the bottom left hand corner of where the price is. Yeah. Like I like a nice uh, bottle of tequila or whiskey or whatever, but you know, sometimes you just, you've got a destination in mind and you don't really care how you get there. Oh yeah. That's where it comes in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tim would have no name beer. He would drink it warm. In his 84 degree living Ugh. room. And I would just like sit there, my chubby self in my work polo or whatever, and sweat until finally I'm like, I gotta go home, dude. I can't I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. So uh I told you I had a story. This yeah. this happened like a couple hours ago. And Ooh, it's fresh the grossest off the thing that's happened in a while. And I may I may have to get a divorce and it's not my wife's fault, but it is what it is at this point. It's reality. Did you so, find out that the, uh, that Snapchat picture going around actually was her. She did, she did destroy the RV. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah uh, separate story for those of you who aren't aware, uh, there's a, a huge account on Instagram. Steve, right? Yeah. And like, I follow, like everybody I know follows them. I don't know. They shared a picture of my wife. They like took a picture from her Instagram or something and shared it with the caption underneath, just blew up the bathroom at Arby's LMFAO, (laughs) which she did not type. I don't know. Anyways. uh, So it's so it's like unseasonably warm here. Like it was 70 degrees yesterday. Oh my God. I would kill for that right now. It's pretty nice. We've been out doing like a whole bunch of bird hunting. And so you just walk for miles in these fields and stuff. And like I stopped checking the dogs for ticks like two months ago. But for some reason, I guess because it's so warm, there's ticks around. It's awful. So So they come back from hibernation. That's weird. I know. I guess I'd never seen it before. But yeah. I, I was looking at Phoebe today. I was like scratching her neck and stuff. And I'm like, what, what is that? Is that like a skin tab? And it's like a full 
tick, like fully inflated little gray raisin. Ugh. And she had two of them on her. So I, I picked them off. April's down in her craft room. And so like I take them down there on a, on a folded up napkin. I like fold it up around and I'm like, Hey, I got a present for you. And I hand it to her and she opens it. It's like one of those things where it takes you a second to realize what you're looking at. And she's like, Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) So she gives them back there. One of them was smashed. The other one was still like inflated. You know, it's like, you want to make sure it's dead before you dispose of it. So (laughs) she's standing there talking to me, like at my left shoulder. And I've, I'm like holding this this paper towel with these ticks in it and I'm squeezing the one of them to like Ew. pop it and kill it, right? And it bursts and she screams and look and like this like that you know that blood that comes out of a tick it's like black. Yeah. You yeah. know. It shot up and hit her like in the eye. Oh my god. Yeah, it was like in her eye like smeared all over her eyebrow. It was so disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh in a full God. scale panic, like get it out. <laughs> like instantly have to run to the eye wash station. You don't have yeah. one of those in your house. I, I do have an overabundance of uh, eye drops since I got my eyes lasered. Oh yeah. In case they dried out. If you like woke up and they're actually stuck to your eyes. I flushed your whole face. What if they, what if when you got your eyes lasered, they like roasted your tear ducts by accident? Well, that's one of the things like when you go in for the consultation, they have to like go over all of the possible negative things that can happen. Oh yeah. And it's like, makes you very nervous. Cause like one of the things that they talk about is they're like, you know, it's a small number of patients, but some patients experience dry eye, you know, after the surgery. And for some people it's, it's a chronic lifelong condition after the surgery. I'm like, cool. Great. Uh, <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> all right. What, when do we get started? Dude, that's, I, I mean, I still remember the, when I, I mean, I was 13 years old and I had broken my arm and it was like a, like a compound fracture. So like and the bones popped through. And so I'm like in the ER and they have to like put me under for surgery. And I still remember like, despite like sitting there with a dangling arm, barely paying attention to what's going on. they, they run through like the, the risks of anesthesia. And I was like, I'm dead. Like I'm going to die here today. Like I thought, <laughs> like I thought this broken arm was the, the worst part of the day. Uh, but it's going to be that I'm dead. That makes it the worst part of the day. That is crazy though. That like sometimes you know, once in a while, somebody just doesn't come back from anesthesia. Yeah. yeah I know. I, I have a, I have a friend who's an anesthetist. Uh, and she'll hear this cause she listens, but I, I hear about her job and some of the stuff that she has to deal with. Uh, you know, you're managing people anesthesia, like they're asleep and they're, you have to, it's like, it's not like you just like, all right, let's flip the switch. And you know, then we just wake them up when it's done. Like it's a constant monitoring of vitals and, uh, keeping everything. It's just, I, I obviously sound like an idiot talking about it. And she's probably like, can you stop? making my job sound really dumb, but it's, it sounds so stressful. And just knowing that, you know, obviously like the surgeon, you know, there's a lot that goes along with cutting somebody open and and making sure they don't die that way. But I feel like the anesthesia is probably even a bigger risk when you're comparing it to like your, you know, your regular 
run-of-the-mill surgeries that are done on a pretty regular basis, like your outpatient surgeries and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. That would be a heck of a way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Probably wouldn't actually be that bad. That's like the, probably the best way you could possibly do. Just to turn out the lights while they're doing your, uh, removing your gallbladder. Yeah. I mean, you, you fall asleep and you don't wake up. That's like the dream for most. I usually want that to come later in life, but. I feel like I want to die in a way that is really embarrassing for my parents to explain at the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, prolapsed anus. I was going to say like, uh, (laughs) like a belt around my neck. (laughs) (laughs) Autoerotic asphyxiation. That would be the worst. It's not funny. It's not, but it's funny. The thought of my (laughs) my parents having to explain it at the funeral, it's kind of funny. (laughs) That's like, uh, there's that Robin Williams movie called World's Greatest Dad. Have I talked about that on the podcast? I, I remember so. that movie. That That's like the plot of that movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great movie. It's super dark, uh, but it's basically like his he, Robin Williams is like a nice guy. And his kid is a piece of shit. Absolute trash kid through and through. They offer no redemptive arc. Like the, the point isn't, <laughs> the whole point is for him to be trash. And that's how he died. Like, so the, the premise of the film is Robin Williams finds his son dead after he tries autoerotic asphyxiation. So he comes up with like this, a story about his son just being troubled and insecure. And of course now this kid dies and everyone in the school is like, Oh, we were like best friends, but everyone actually hated him. And the whole movie just builds up around like this pretending this kid was great. And Robin Williams's character is struggling through the fact that his kid was a piece of shit that died jerking off and it was it's not (laughs) laugh out loud funny like don't get me wrong it's a dark comedy and it's fantastic it's a really good movie and if you're missing uh robin williams uh it's a it's not one of his feel-good movies it's no mrs doubtfire but it's definitely uh worth checking out yeah i i still haven't ever seen mrs doubtfire what the fuck there's a lot of troubling themes in it. There's like, you know, cross-dressing, <laughs> divorce. There's a lot of reasons why oh, I couldn't watch it. Did that come up uh, when that movie came? I remember when the movie came Div- out and I wanted divorced, to see it. Divorced, dude. Cross-dressing okay. couldn't come <laughs> Okay. Well, maybe. That's, I, that's, that's more of a modern reason why parents wouldn't let their kids watch it in those circles. It, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that man's dressing up as a woman. Yeah, I think there was like a lot of that stuff, though, that was... It's like, I don't know that a lot of parents really had that strong of feelings one way or another about certain movies and stuff, but it was like, that was the messaging they were getting from whatever, Focus on the Family or whoever was putting it out at the time. And it was like, uh, let's just, let's just not risk it. Maybe it's, maybe it's fine. Yeah, maybe it's, it's risky. Not. It's very risky. It might permanently damage our children if we expose them to one movie that that's some inappropriate here. Dude, there was, um. I feel like that era, uh, well, I guess the 90s, there was like this, maybe I'm just out of the loop. I don't know. But that it was like family movies that were like PG-13 or like on that side of things, right? There, there was a little bit more of an edge to them. Now family movies are very like kid-oriented and they might throw in some jokes for the adults. But like with, I'm thinking like Mrs. Doubtfire, Home Alone. Like I watched Home Alone with my kids just recently and uh, 
six, they're six and four. And it's like, oh, this is uh, a lot of that's going over their head. Uh, the slapstick humor is a little much, but like, then you like when Marv steps on the nail going up the stairs and you see it go into his foot and stuff like that. And like, I remember Whoa. being young and just laughing so hard at that movie when he steps on the ornaments and gets hit in the face with an iron or gets <laughs> their heads blow torched. Like, you're laughing at all of it. And uh, it's just funny to watch it with your kids because they're like, they're not used to movies like that. Their movies are animated and loud and flashy and colorful and obnoxious, really. And so to like go back and watch some of these like older movies that, you know, we grew up with, it's just like, they was like what are we, what are we watching? They didn't like it, <laughs> but I, they weren't like, can we watch it again? We haven't watched it a second time. It didn't stick. Yeah, I feel like the uh, the amount of stimulus in the movies and TV shows for kids nowadays is oh my god, it's like a shocking amount. It is too much. It's like I I tried putting on Rugrats for my kids uh, not too too long ago, and it was like even watching it myself, I'm like, oh, this is like a quiet show, not filled with constant sounds and dialogue, and my kids got bored with it so fast we like lived on this shit when we were and they just it's it's not flashy and obnoxious enough do you need like an honest reviews of kids watching like children's content from the 80s and 90s just be like god very quiet kind of boring needs more farts yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that uh home alone was a big one at our house Oh uh, yeah, I feel like every year we watched Christmas Vacation. I we love that movie. Jill was like, "We should watch that with the kids." I was like, "I feel like that might be a little bit much." That but might be a bit much. I there's a little bit more. It's honestly like as much as it's um, it might be a little much content wise for a six and a four year old. It the the narrative arc of that isn't as much for kids like they're just not going to follow along like at least with home alone it's like these guys are trying to break into the house and he's fighting them off that's like uh, that's something that they can follow but like christmas vacation is just i i, I don't think they'd follow it in, or care no that one's a little it's a little older you'd just be like elbowing them on the couch it's like <laughs> you know how you like the idea of hanging out with your cousins but you don't actually like it in in, in practice yeah <laughs> Jokes that about bonuses at work. Like, oh, that's funny for a six-year-old. <laughs> Putting in a pool, family, managing family stress. Like, oh, they get it. Dude, what was some other, like, Christmas movies that you guys loved? Dude, I feel like... I mean, all the I, play ones. I didn't watch... The only ones that come to mind... The only one that really comes to mind was is Home Alone. I mean, Elf, of course, was like everyone's. But that's older than I think it is, but it wasn't when I was a kid. Uh, but the movie's got to be like almost 20 years old. Yeah, it was got to be like early 2000s. Yeah. That one was a but, killer. Dude, what about Jingle All the Way? Didn't I didn't watch it. No, with Arnold and Sinbad? No. And I didn't watch like I don't I I don't really recall watching the Santa Claus as a kid. Yeah. That's like everything else Tim Allen does. It's like forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> My kids have gotten into they watched that a few times so far. Yeah, I think uh, we really liked the all the classic ones like Rudolph and Santa Claus is coming to, ha- to town. And oh yeah, the, like the stop animation ones, dude. You can't yeah. watch Rudolph anymore. If you go back and watch Rudolph, look, I get that like 
everyone gets all bent in shape because they're canceling all the old programs, blah, blah, blah. Cancel culture. Everyone wants to freak out about it. But it is wild to go back and watch Rudolph because it's literally just like, you're weird. You're different. Nobody likes you. Get the fuck out of here. And then it's just like, let's try to hide who you really are. And then, oh, actually, you're, you're, this comes in handy. Your nose is bright and it, you know, we need you now. And then everyone's like, oh, cool. We're good with this guy now. But it literally just is a movie of them like just shitting on him. And then the dad is just like, ah, why couldn't I have a normal son? Fuck this kid. And you're like, this is really, <laughs> really dark. Well, I feel like that was, that was always the, it's like the perception of what it was about wasn't, hasn't changed. It's like he was bullied and then he, you know, learned to be himself and people saw it and changed their minds and came around and stuff like that. It just might be a, is it just that it's like harsh? I think it just is dated uh, as all. It's like, like when you watch all in the family, it's like, look, we know what you were doing. We get what the lesson was and it worked then. And now it's dated and people don't want to watch that in the same way that they did in the seventies. It's like, I feel like it's similar to that. You're like, we, we, we know what you're doing. It just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I do wish Rudolph would have laid off the racial slurs. Yeah. It's, it, it was a lot. His, uh, his hero's journey. Yeah. Sure. Oh, certainly. I mean, it's like <laughs> when you find out, uh, Mel Gibson hated Jews. You're just like, man, you were, you were our guy. You were, I guess Christians still kind of like him despite the Jew hating, but, Oh man, once in a while, like there's been a couple of celebrities that just like a phone call or something like that, that got recorded, came out like Alec Baldwin had one of those. Oh Remember yeah. That where he's just like laying into his daughter and calling her fat and stuff. And look where it got him. Look Killed where it got him. on set. That's where, that's where that leads. Yeah. I could have told you so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he's like, uh, He's really like pushing the idea that he didn't pull the trigger on the guy. Which is like, why? It feels like you probably did. Like, I don't really, who buys that? And it's fine. Like, aren't you supposed to pull the trigger? It's a blank. That's what makes the gun go off and fire and look like it's firing. Uh, yeah. He, I don't know. It's It must be like part of his, you know, prerequisite for his like legal defense down the road is all I can think. But like, <clears throat> there's no way that that's the case. Like when you look at how one of those, those guns functions, like, you know, I think what he's claiming is like, well, I pulled the hammer back and then let go of it and it snapped shut. But that's not how those guns work. They have like, it's like a geared system almost where they have like four or five stops along the way. It's like the, the hammer can't just fall unless the trigger's depressed or something like that. I don't even know why he's, I mean, I know he was like a producer. I know there's a lot that goes into that. I don't know, safety protocol violations maybe, but as far as like him being the guy on set who in the scene is supposed to fire the gun. Like, I don't know why that's necessarily that's on him, you know. I mean, if he had I something don't, I don't to do either. with, if he had something to do with the safety protocol violations uh, as a producer of the film, like that's going to come up. Uh, but as far as pulling the trigger or not pulling the trigger, seems irrelevant. Uh, yeah, like I don't particularly love Alec Baldwin, but like 
it's I feel not one of my awful favorites. for him. I mean, I don't think he's to blame for what happened at all. Like whoever brought live ammunition onto that set is the person to blame. Like, why was that ever there in the first place? I know it doesn't make any sense. It, it really, I don't understand how live ammunition ever makes its way. A film set. It seems so weird. Super dangerous. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like everything, you know, everybody always is like looking for someone to, to put the blame on for some of the, you know, when an accident happens or something like that. But I, I just, it's not him. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there was some negligence. Like this had to do with the the strike. Uh, Apparently the person who was, I don't know, handling that type of shit on set, the weapons, the whatever has had some issues in the past with safety violations or things going awry. And he was like, it's the cheaper option. So budget cuts, shit like that. I don't know. Someone's definitely at fault for, for it. it it might actually tie back to alec baldwin because you know he's the producer of the film or one yeah. of the producers so like if that he's the sense. one like that made the call and went with a guy who has historically violated safety protocols it could come back to get him uh and if that's the case then that's on him i'm not gonna like yeah lose sleep over it but it just that's why i was just saying like pulling the trigger is not that's not the to me doesn't seem like the issue there. It's the yeah. issue is something bigger than that. It doesn't seem like a point worth even raising. Yeah, so that's why it's weird that he's like, I didn't even pull the trigger. It's like, okay, no one was like, nobody was having that conversation until you just awkwardly put it out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like when OJ wrote that book that like I didn't do it, but if I did, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> here's how I would have done it better. Like. I don't know what you're going for, but I know how it's landing. <laughs> yeah, dude, what an insane thing to do. So um, our guest this week is Jeremy Spring, and you probably know him from some of his music music projects. If you ever listen to bands like Abandoned Kansas, Crusoe, or his new one is called Glass Age. Uh, he's a phenomenal musician that you know, has a pretty like extensive catalog. It's been in the music industry and, and specifically like the Christian music industry for, I don't know, 20 years. I mean, a long time. Um, I think Abandoned Kansas is on Goatee Records, which is Toby Mac's. Toby Mac! <laughs> that's, I, that's the correct pronunciation. Okay. But, uh, he's just a really interesting guy. Happens to live like... 20 miles from my house, which we didn't know until we started talking. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, he like he'll, he'll he books uh, shows at that news that you go to. Yep. Yeah. If you if you want to call them that around here. <laughs> 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 no, they're fun. But uh, yeah, we talked a lot about, um, you know, his background, him coming up in the church and stuff and how that changed over the years with, you know, touring and, and doing music and all of that kind of stuff. And I, he just a very like grassroots kind of guy that had like just a really, I mean, just reasonable. And I think when it came down to it and we started talking about how his faith looks today, he just had a, a, a little bit of a different perspective, I think, than, what we've heard from other guests and stuff. And I thought it was, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. He did have a, a different perspective. It's, uh, you know, he's, it's a, a 
a peace with where he's at, even if where he's like the, you know, the church that he's in, the kind of church that he's in isn't exactly, doesn't define him or his beliefs necessarily, but finding a place there uh, in, in, as far as music goes and, and kind of, you know, one of the things we talked about is, is the, the influence musically that that church has on kids. Uh, that's where a lot of kids realize that they like music. It gives kids at an early age the opportunity to play music in front of other people and realize that they love doing that. Outside of church, you kind of just have to like find people, and get a band together, and ask some people to watch you practice. Like church gives people an opportunity to get to get on stage and and, and play before you you might normally have that opportunity. So. You know he he participates in in that at his local congregation, and knowing that there are people who are as musically talented as him, trying to raise people like raise up the next generation to uh, pursue their musical dreams uh, is cool. I, I like you know what he has to say about that. Yeah. So his newest project is called Glass Age. If you listen to this, you should go check that out. It's pretty cool. And uh, yeah. Enjoy our conversation with Jeremy Spring. Tis the season to be jolly, and nothing makes me more jolly than a great cup of coffee. You know what I'm talking about? I certainly do, Casey. So my house, this time of year, I turn the heat down at night because I like it to be like a frosty 66. And waking up in the morning, stepping out into the kitchen at 530, it's it's chilly. You got your long underwear on. You got the uh, flap Open in the back, all unbuttoned with a little booty hanging out. <laughs> Rosy cheeks. Two sets, top and bottom. <laughs> they look freshly spanked, but it's just getting cold. <laughs> <laughs> My poor pets. <laughs> Nothing wakes me up better than a cup of hop, Captain Cecil's coffee. And, you know, during the fall, I was really into the Knopsk blend. I just got a new shipment in, and I got to say, the limited edition holiday blend is fantastic i love it yeah i gotta say it's uh it must be amateur hour in here because you talked about it being a frosty 66 and i set my thermostat to a frosty 62 that's like a siberian gulag it's cold uh you wake up in the morning and you don't want to get out of bed uh but you know you have to get your uh, pot of coffee going and of course i'm drinking captain cecil's Captain Cecil's donates 10% of all sales to various lighthouse preservation organizations across New England. It's one way for them to make sure that they remain with us for generations. And as a New Englander, that's super important. New, uh, lighthouses around here, big deal. They're landmarks. And I know you don't know anything about lighthouses because you don't have them. You just have windmills, the lighthouses of the Midwest. Yeah, we have like grain elevators. <laughs> Not quite as scenic, but same thing. Yeah. The holidays are right around the corner, and there's no better gift for the coffee lovers in your family than Captain Cecil's. And they're offering a special deal to our lovely listeners. From now until Christmas, you can go to CaptainCecil's.com and enter the promo code GrowingUpChristian at checkout for 20% off your order. Now until Christmas, it's a deal you don't want to miss. So go to CaptainCecil'sCoffee.com and enter the promo code GrowingUpChristian at checkout for 20% off your order. Happy holidays from me, from Sam, and from Captain Cecil's Coffee. Hey, everybody. We're back with our guest, Jeremy Spring. Jeremy, how's it going, man? I'm doing fine, man. How are you guys? Yeah, man, we're doing good. I, I work in retail, so it's like Q4 
for us. And I literally am like, it's like work, get home, kids, dinner, kids to bed. If we have a podcast, podcast, work after that. So it's the worst time of year for me. But Dang. yeah, well, I have COVID. <laughs> yes, Casey does. Uh, suck on that. <laughs> win, win. I got a, I tested positive on Monday. So, but I literally like almost no effect whatsoever. So I'm just yeah. kind of uh, hanging around the house and working on projects for a week. Casey's the proof text that people need to assume that COVID isn't a, doesn't matter. So congratulations, yeah. Casey. That's the message I'm trying to put out. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, now, I got COVID back in the spring. Oh, did you? How, how did it hit you? It was like eight or nine days just on the couch or in bed, just doing a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Oh, man, so you got hit hard. It kicked my butt, man. It was like right when that new strain came. It was like May, like April and May earlier this year. But um, I don't know. I know they sent my spit off and they were like, you're a special specimen. Would you mind if we did some extra testing? Like, Really? I must have had a cool new strain. And it was fine then after that. I mean, just a bunch of coughing. And the loss of taste is the worst part. I'm sure everybody says that, but. Oh yeah. I, dude, I haven't got it. It's weird. I mean, some people lose taste, some people don't, but that sounds, it, I mean, it just sounds miserable. Even if I had no other symptoms on losing, I would rather feel like shitty for six, seven, eight days than lose my taste for like a month or two or three. I mean, people lose it for it a long both. time. Yeah. It's a, and like the, it was worse than just losing it. Stuff that should taste good tasted extra like puke. Really? Yeah, like, you know, stuff you should enjoy and do enjoy tasted bad and retraining your taste buds. Somebody said that, and I was like, I didn't train him the first time. We didn't do any run throughs <laughs> of what I like. Like, I like what I like, and now I don't. That's alarming, but it came back. Yeah, I was everything- kind of hoping for a taste bud disruption. Like, maybe I'd lose a couple pounds out of this whole deal. I did, <laughs> man. I fit in some old shirts for sure. <laughs> Old I tried to go back the other day and like put on some old banties that I had stored away and <laughs> not good. Well, every t-shirt from like 2007 fits me like a sports bra now. They're <laughs> <laughs> for your kids, dude. Now it's, I don't know. They're like for pajamas for kids. I don't know. It's like extra pathetic now too when you pull one out and your wife's like, did you listen to first to last? I'm like, <laughs> No. It's I just like the design. Skrillex. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I had to start, when I had to like get rid of those shirts. When you like, when those you just, you all the just, black shirts. yeah, all the black shirts with the, the pastel colors on it. And you're like, it is, that's a hard pill to swallow to admit that you've just gone up a size in clothing. It's, it's not, it sucks. <laughs> I hated it. I was like, I can't even like my shirts all had like the holes in the armpits and shit, you know, and you're like, I'm still good. I'm still wearing these. And then you're like, the thing about moving back here, I keep my old band merch at the Goodwill and the AV. <laughs> oh, for real? Yeah. That's funny, man. <laughs> They're good quality uh, t-shirts. They're not They're holding up. People, they've had a few owners now. I guess. I don't well, as long as they didn't have to stretch around my bust. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh man. All right. Jeremy, I want to hear a little bit about your life because uh I 
have a feeling it's uh, you, you've been through some of the shit that everybody else has. But um, let's go ahead and hear a little bit about you, like where you grew up, and how you grew up. Shit yeah, like I don't know what you guys cover on this thing. So I was born in Texas. My parents met at Arlington Baptist Bible College. Yes. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it. I, I just know it sounds exactly like what I think it is. You know, King James Version only. You know, everyone talks like Hank Hill. It's women. You know, I don't know. I, I would think you know, they both they both got a degree in piano. Um, Interesting. To do worship okay. music? No, like, well, I guess so. What, is that what we called it back then? Like, um, they were doing Southern gospel or doing like hymns, you know? Yeah. Accompanying, you know, probably the only musician in the room, maybe an organ, but um, definitely not writing stuff or that kind of thing. Um, but they were playing and accompanying in different big churches in Texas. I was born in Texas and then we moved to Ohio. That's where I grew up and kind of got my you know, like evangelical roots started. Um, Where in Ohio? Middletown, Ohio, between Dayton and Cincinnati. Okay. okay. We, had, we had Skyline Chili for lunch on Sunday. My mom's own like homemade recipe, but like, um, like South uh, Western Ohio, like uh, my dad was a youth pastor, but we're talking like first ones in the building, you know, Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night, Awana, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like Awana kids Thursday night church basketball league, like, you know, at the church a lot. So as far as, you know, related to this podcast, definitely grew up pastor's kid. Um, we moved to Kansas when I was in seventh grade, my dad took a church here. His dad was dealing with some cancer so they that's i think kind of the basis of looking for a job here but took a church small church here in wichita um yeah went to a kind of a liberal arts school here in wichita friends university got a more diverse experience there and from there hit the road with a band and like that opened my whole perspective up so i guess that's the ten thousand foot view but yeah um, no, did that you makes... go to did you go to Christian school like growing up or were you secular school? Secular school. That's secular. 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 <laughs> Is this a song? The that's a good question. My the church that we moved to in Ohio had a big Christian school. And my parents, one of the boundaries they drew early was like, We're here enough. You'll go to public school. I think oh, interesting. had good public schools. Um, you know, I I don't who knows how that would have worked out, but uh, yeah, I never went to Christian school. Uh, relieved by that, that would have been loaded to be on church staff kid, you know, going to that school. That would have been nuts. I mean, it's not an experience that people don't have, but I can't even like I was homeschooled, pre tuition or something. I don't know. Yeah. But. Oh, probably yeah. As a as your dad was working there, I but so I'm homeschooled and then I'm like in the I was in the church as often as I could be because I was homeschooled. It was just like I needed any sort of interaction with people, yeah. outside of my family. But yeah, with uh, being a pastor, but being there like for every service, youth group, Awana, like you said, church basketball league, and then if you had to go to school there, you literally never would have left there. You would have had like what three nights at home, and then the right. rest of your life would have been in that church. Well, and you feel kind of, you know, I think any pastor's kid kind of has this experience. I kind of check the kid at my church. 
pastor's kids now, but like the, you just feel like you run the show, you know, I, there's a little bit of a backstage pass element. Yeah. The way you snag donuts to the way you dip out of service to the way, you know, I don't know, whatever you're doing, like, it's like, nobody's going to ask. And, and <laughs> it's kind of a rock star mentality a little, or maybe that was a bad setup for me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what got you wanting to perform. We'll, ju- we'll just used to like, eh, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't know. Regardless of who's watching. Right. You, do you feel like you connected? It's like I, it's so many varying experiences as far as the way people connect to that. It's like, especially with pastor's kids, dude, because pastor's kids, like, I feel like they're, it, it's, it's an odd dynamic. I, there's like, they either like rebel and they are like, kind of assholes about it this isn't for me or they're like i'm gonna be just like my dad like you don't really coast i feel like with the pastor's kids that i've known is that roller coaster ride yeah i gotta pick one or the other i didn't rebel high school college the road i got a little more experience i think there's always been like an element where like i know i'm like my dad but i don't want to deliver it the same do you know okay and I, so it's, it's a, I ride that roller coaster, I think internally, but I, I mean, I think most of my cliche rebel stuff is in there, but it wasn't right inside the church those years. I think it's come out later. I kind of, kind of sowed my wild oats later on, but um, <laughs> the, you know, as far as the pastor's kid thing, you know, I, I haven't totally, I, I mean, I've gone through seasons of disillusionment. I think, I mean, I don't know where y'all stand on this. Cause like I said, I haven't listened to the podcast a whole lot, but like I, Jesus continues to find me in, in my BS as far as dealing with the, the old stuff, the old wounds, the, the, you know, stuff that sounds alarming, but isn't stuff that we're, you know, even just being a charismatic person who can sing and invoke emotion, like, understanding the power of that. So my guards up when I hear a good speaker or I hear a good worship leader. And so, um, but understanding that we can use our powers for good and or evil, you know, just so re you know, relearning what that looks like as a 36 year old man, not a kid in the church, you know, what it looks like to think of my dad at that age, uh, raising me, how he's trying to interpret that. Now I've got a son. So it's, I, I think just a lot of ongoing, conversation about that pastor's kid thing i know all the cliches and a lot of them are true they, they are. yeah <laughs> the pastor's kids that i grew up with i'm still friends with uh so one of my best friends was my pastor's kid and um you know all of them that i knew were pretty devout yeah. i don't think i knew any of that like uh kicked out the way that people you know describe them and stuff That's a big thing you know i think yeah, I mean, I, I'm still on board. I think there's a lot of commitment piece that's taught from a from a pastor's family, you know. I mean, unless they're corrupt. I mean, but people that are, for the most part, people that get into ministry are are in it for the right reasons. At least in my experience, I think they get a bad rap. You know, some of the stuff gets a, some some uh, a lot of the attention. But I don't know. Maybe you guys feel different about that. That's it, it's interesting because you know when you think about it as far as local congregations go there's probably a lot of truth i guess you'd have to break down what the right reasons are or what constitutes like good motivation i guess that's true one of the things that comes up a lot in in our sphere is that and 
this is a concept that kind of like it's a through line through anything. I don't care if you grew up in religion or not. It's like uh, that intentions only go so far, right? Like you, you people with good intentions can do bad or harmful things. And I think one of the things we revisit a good bit is trying, it's like a lot of, a lot of people, millennials, especially even some like millennials and Gen Zers, right? They have these parents that had, a lot of them had conversion experiences when they were in their early twenties. Mm. Uh, then they have a family and they want to raise them what they think is right. And they, they went from like this upbringing of, you know, I did, the, they'll tell, they'll tell the stories. Like I did drugs when I was your age and I drank underage and I had sex and we need to like that, that wasn't good for me. And so then they like kind of just flip the whole thing on its head and they raise kids in the evangelical church. And then turns out that raising kids with some of the messages of the evangelical church uh, from an early childhood is actually damaging uh, yeah. when you take it to an extreme degree. Uh, and when you, when you wrap up so much of humanity's ills in sexuality and uh, it, 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 it goes awry and we're seeing that as people are leaving the church in droves. So it's funny because I think most of us would say like you did that, like no one in our experience was getting into it for the wrong reasons, even if what they did ultimately wasn't the best for us. Um, yeah. yeah, they meant well, but I, I feel that intentions fall short. I think something, so, you know, growing up in the really evangelical, it was independent, but Southern feeling Baptist church tradition, you know, a couple confusing messages where you're like, you're saved by grace. It has nothing to do with what you've done. But then mm -hmm. as soon as that prayer is done, it has everything to do with what you're currently doing and have done. And we're always going to talk about that. And so, um, you know, juggling that with like in my, you know, I grew up in a household where it was, it was like truth and more of a intellectual approach to spirituality, you know, the heart's deceitful, um, you know, don't trust feelings type thing. So then here I am leaning super into feelings in my art and my music expression, like feeling like if you don't feel it, then it isn't real, which is now also not a good way to live. You know what I'm saying? So I think trying to balance that out as an adult, when you're talking about like the, the, to wrap back on what you were saying, like, I think there's like a choice, not just intention, but there's an obedience, a follow through, whether you feel it or not, you know, and I, I think that's something not that our generation has a problem with that everybody has a problem with if they're not feeling it. Um, I think that it's a lot of little actions stacked up on each other. So I'm, I'm figuring, I'm feeling the repercussions of not doing that, you know, of riding the fumes of faith decisions I made when I was 16 or 19 or 22 and kind of trying to live off of that tie as if I like climbed a Mount Everest and can look back on that and look at the pictures and go back there. And like, um, I don't think that's the relationship the Lord's looking for. And like, this is where I'm at with it. I'm just, so when I've, I've recognized that those people that weren't doing it the right way were that anybody, any adult right now that can set aside that much income and time in their week to be there is obviously interested in being selfless. So giving them some new, you know, skin to that um, 
where it's not just if you're feeling it that, you know, some ways to obey that. But then we get lost in that obedience piece. You know, I'm, I, um, I beat myself up a lot when I commit to like, um, some kind of new discipline and then I'm three days in and I can't do it. And then I'm like, okay, maybe next year. <laughs> I know you I know the feeling on that dude. <laughs> yeah. I do. I love, I actually really love what you're saying. And I think one of the things that you hit on that I want to dive into a little bit more is the, the concept of commitment, right? Cause w- there was this feeling for me growing up that we had to like that your commitment to your local church was uh, of the utmost importance to the point where, you know, it was drilled into my head so much that by the time I was in even high school and my dad was so busy, my dad is self-employed uh, mm-hmm. and he takes work when he can get it. And you have sometimes slow months, sometimes busy months. And when he, when, when he first, like he had gone through different transitions of uh, self-employment, he worked with people in his family and then he ended up working just kind of completely by himself and, when he would get a bunch of work and it was difficult for him to find the time to fit in church. I remember the first, I really actually remember the first time my dad didn't go to church. Like that's mm. how much it was drilled into my head that we had to, that you had to be there every Sunday. Cause I would go to my friend's houses on like a Saturday night and want to sleep over. And I would call my mom and be like, Hey, can I stay over? And she's like, you need to come to church. You need to. Yeah. But you have to get up and come to church on Sunday. Yeah. And then the first time my dad didn't make it to church, I was like, Mm. oh my God, is this thing falling apart? And so what you're saying when you, when you say like, there, there's something that to be said for being there to, to being involved, even when it's inconvenient. Um, And they might have internalized that in a way where it's like that there's maybe some fear and obligation that is overly intense, but you're right about that. You're right about like, most people aren't aren't doing that. Most people are like, I, I'll do what's good for me when I want to do it. If I want to go cool, if I don't, maybe I'll never go again. But there is There's something, something to be said about, for that. Yeah, to be said about adults that consistently step in and up out of themselves and want to help other people. I mean, that you can work with that. I mean, I mean, it. People are so flaky, especially now. We have every permission to be. I mean, I don't. Yeah, because now we've given each other the a lot of permission. I feel like to not be committed. I think you're right about that. Customize. You know, and I do have a, a, a moral problem with customization because it it just kind of deflects the sacrifice piece. It deflects, you know, giving when it's comfortable. Like, you know, these pieces now that we have where I just don't, I, I think it should look a little different. I'm not saying we go backwards. I'm just saying, um, yeah, I don't know where you guys are at with as far as, living comfortably versus, you know, I, I think at my church, one thing I always push is this illusion of safety, like as far as being covered with insurance and I've got the job and I've got, you know, debt free and this, these different corners covered as if they're irresponsible, um, kind of a disillusionment of, of safety. And then when tragedy hits, just no real armor to handle, you know, like emotional safety there. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting on a tangent. No, I think, it's, I feel like you're hitting on a lot of things that that come up. There's a lot of oxymorons almost within within church because I, I mean, you, as soon as you mentioned financial security, I thought of Dave Ramsey. Did you guys do Dave Ramsey stuff? I um, came up and I never had the discipline to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I could meet him in the middle, maybe. He's yeah. <laughs> a nut, but I could. I've told myself I'm bad at money long enough. I need to grow up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> 
but it, there's like that it, within like churches like gravitate towards his message right mm-hmm. within, i remember constantly being like some kind of freedom there right you gotta be you gotta be smart and you gotta be fiscally responsible so then you can do things for other people maybe but then there's also this idea of like you worship a homeless guy that lived on the the goodwill of others mm. and trying to reconcile that with a Dave Ramsey message is not really, not really possible. You have to live in a, a sort of dissonance, right? There has to be some sort of cognitive dissonance there to be able to say it's important to set up financial security, but also j- make that jive with a guy who tells you to like pick up your cross and follow him. Right. It doesn't always, it doesn't really work out the way you want. I to. guess. What does that mean though? I mean, like, what do you, what do you expect people to do? Yeah. In that situation. I mean, I don't know. That's where I get, I know like my dad being a deacon and stuff and just hearing like the behind the scenes on the meetings and stuff that they had and everything. Like it always bothered me. Like talking about commitment, like my church was very committed to missions and they would give every cent of the church budget to missions. If that's what they were able to do, you know, Meanwhile, like we didn't do, we had no commitment to the local community, Mm. you know, and ultimately, like, I think that's how all of this stuff works, whether you're talking about church or government or just general charity and stuff is like, you got to concentrate on the people that are around you within arm's length, because, you know, I mean, I saw it with my church for years where it was just like checks going overseas all the time like every cent of the church budget that wasn't used for building maintenance or trying to keep the school open or whatever it was like just off like a paper airplane thrown over the ocean and that's a great analogy <laughs> what do you show for it and you know i also like started Don't to realize Casey, that come on you'll you'll see well you won't because you're going to have hey, a map dude it's very cool it's <laughs> you know i Dude, that in the pro-life movement, you know, I'm not trying to get that juicy, but like it's easy to defend things you can't see, easy to defend and step in and donate to things you don't even have to actually get your hands dirty with. And Absolutely. I, I had, This isn't my analogy, but a college professor of mine at Friends, Jim Smith, um, man, he took his keychain out and like, I wish I had him on me and for the audio, but like jangled it and jangled it. He's like, these are the people you're responsible for. Like, stop, you know, getting so flustered and stressed out about everything in the whole wide world. You know, these people that let you in these doors are who you're responsible for. And some of us have keys to big buildings, and that's a big responsibility to think of. And I think certain freedoms go away when you're when you're in charge of that many things, I think. But, you know, we all have our house key and just a few things. I mean, those are your people. And I think we've got a whole generation of, I'm not trying to be that salty for real, guys, but just a pastor that are, <laughs> that are speaking to this big audience, like to the camera and like to the back of the room when there's like 50, 60 people in the room that they don't know that have been there for years, you know? And um, I think it was John Maxwell. He was like a shepherd should smell like sheep and should be, should know his people. You know, I think we have more of a platform distance type um, outreach going on from everybody right now. And it's painful. We're we're lacking that. People don't need all that. They need a pastor. They need a shepherd. You know, they need somebody that knows them and is close. And um, 
I've just seen that here at our local church in, in, in Wichita, but yeah, you guys got me rambling. You guys, <laughs> no, we like to like, bring the best out of people. The thing that's, that's not, the thing that I started to notice with that over the years was that missions and missions has the same sort of appeal to the guy sitting in the pew that like pro-life issue has to a dude in the, in the ballot box. It's like, what's great about missions is you write the check and you put it in the envelope and you pat yourself on the back and it didn't cost you any time. And you didn't have to put any sweat equity into that giving that you made, you know, like you just mail a check and it's done. And then they say, Hey, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for volunteers to go do some upkeep on this old person's house in the congregation. Can anybody volunteer? And you're like, nah, I'm more of a missions giving sort of person. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why that's part of why pro-life stuff is so convenient and so popular. I think with, with everyone is that like, it's easy to care about unborn people because you just have to rant and vote the right way. Like you don't have to be responsible for them once they're out, you know, you'd like the consequences of, of, you know, someone who really wasn't ready for a kid, like having that kid they you don't have anything to do with those at that point yeah. because then it's personal responsibility and yeah, getting kind of spicy. But, uh, personal responsibility is the mantra of the party in which you're referring to though. <laughs> True. Right. Right. Well, that's the whole thing is like, I'm not, I shouldn't have to take care of your family and I shouldn't have to, you know, pay for your birth control and stuff like that. And it's like, well, okay. But you know, you're also taking away the options for people who aren't yeah, aren't ready for that responsibility. Oh, well, you shouldn't have had sex then. That's how it is. That and choice. That's what I used to hear. I'm pro choice, pro don't have sex. That's when you made your choice. It's like, wow. I mean, tell that and I, the person telling you that opportunity to have sex that are that are pro life. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah, right. <laughs> I remember Sorry, being no so pro life in high school because I I nobody tempted me with losing my virginity, so that was an easy <laughs> thing to claim. Yeah, same. <laughs> It's like on straight edge because nobody ever offered me drugs or alcohol. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> easy to not easy to wonder how could you if you if never had the opportunity pass through. I mean it and then as soon as we all did, we all failed hard, you know. So it it's interesting that you know, dude, me, you know, I've gone through a divorce. That's a word that wasn't even an option growing up. Oh yeah. yeah. I that mean, was not- a controversial one. Because no it happened. It did happen. And then, and you know what they're called? A broken family. Oof. You're broken. You're broken. Really thought about the gravity of that term. Yeah. We, really? What if there's rebirth? What if they're renewed? What if there's, you know, some kind of, you know, we've tried to reinterpret the dialogue, but honestly, there's no um, language for it in my family tree. So trying to figure out these terms, like I thought child support meant the dude is a deadbeat and isn't showing up. You know what? I split time with my son, with his mom, and because there has to be a primary residence, I mean, our time is like 55, 45%, you know, with me at the 45, I pay child support. 
And that's just the reality of how the system works. And I've had to swallow that pill and, and be like, this is what I thought it means to pay child support. This is what I thought it means to have dad and the stepdad show up at the game. But like trying to make it work, trying to trying to find that new language for that has been powerful for me, man, for forgiveness and for grace and for redemption. I mean, it, you know, I asked God, like, uh, you know, why did we go through this divorce? What, where he's, and then I look at my son, I'm like, what a great gift. What a great, you know, outcome of, well, at least we have him, you know, otherwise I'd be really confused why we went through that. But we sit there at soccer games and it's awkward, you know, but finding that new dialogue that my family did not give us where it would, it would have been shattering. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I, it's not an option. I mean, it, I don't know what that was like around you guys, but yeah, actually I, I want to, so I want to close a couple of loops and then I want to actually get back to your story. Cause hearing about your divorce, I want, I want to spend some time focusing on your, your faith uh, and your transitions. And, you know, cause you talked about going out on the road and that's when you started feeling like you got a new perspective on things and you've obviously gone through difficult things, especially when it, uh, divorce is difficult, no matter what, uh, never mind having, you know, that Christian element tied to it, uh, and then trying to figure out where you stand. And you've also mentioned still participating in, in a church. So you, yeah. there's a lot going on with your life and I really want to get into it. And, um, one of the things I wanted to touch on right before we jump to that was to the, the previous conversation. And, and I feel like there's like, there was three things at play that we were kind of like tossing out. And I, I want to just take a quick second of time together. If nobody cares, because it's going to bother me if I don't. And we're talking, it, it just will. I'll be like, after we end this, I'll be like, I never, I never closed that out the way I wanted to. This is and, a lot of pretext. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, okay. But anyway, so when you're talking about throwing like, you know, money overseas and I, I had mentioned Dave Ramsey and we had talked about um, that dissonance between like your Dave Ramsey set yourself up for the future. And then that the mixed message you get in the church right on a Sunday morning. This is what Jesus would do. Jesus told this person to sell their money. They'll they'll tell you that story of I forget what um I forget what story it is about the guy who like had no money and just prayed. And then a, a wagon full of milk broke down outside of his little orphanage and everyone was fed. Like there's always those stories of people who gave their last dollar, no matter what they tithes. So you have those like messages of like, always give your bottom dollar. And then you go in on Wednesday night for the Dave Ramsey class about how to get out of credit card debt and set yourself up for a fortune. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, and then when you're talking about like missions, but you're, you, you, and you're talking about, and I want, this is what I kind of want to tie into like where you're at now is, you know, that, that, story of the guy like shaking his keys right and like yeah. this is what you're responsible for like we only can be responsible for so much within yeah. a certain certain sphere of our lives and you know you know obviously for people who have more they might be able to be responsible for more but when you're looking at that scenario but we live it's funny because another one of the Christian messages we got was there's like this anti-globalization, right? They don't like the idea of globalization. It's scary. It's new world. It's it's drifting into a new world order. Mm. But at the same time, like Casey said, we'll throw checks overseas all day long to say that we did something good for the gospel. While there was a time in history where you couldn't worry about, you didn't have a TV to worry about what was going on across the country. And you didn't know about that Christian who was jailed in China 
for reading his Bible or like there is there's a lot you didn't know. And our human brains are only able to know so much. And it is that's another mixed message is like the that let's focus on missions, but then we can only take care of what's going on in our own backyard. And then we can only our brains are only equipped to handle so much. And then so when when you talk about that responsibility for what you have in your own area and and how that looks. So let's I want to get into that with you. So you, you know, you, you're part of the church, you're a pastor's kid. You, you end up going to a, you, you do um, public school. You go to a university for a little bit. I, remind me again, the, the college you went to, was it a Christian Friends, college? Yeah. Friends university. It's Quaker in its roots, but more liberal okay. arts. I play, went there to play football. Oh, really? How weird is that? Yeah. You feel <laughs> throw a pigskin over those mountains. Well, over and there. this girl I was dating at the time, I was a freshman at college. She was senior in high school, so she was going to go to that school too. So I had to stay in town, you know. Oh yeah, I hear you. I was lost. Tavor, Tavor University is that yeah. a yeah Tavor's in Hillsboro. Yeah, is that Same a Mennonite? Thing. Yeah, you're right. Okay, all the quiet folk. <laughs> you got all the hits. <laughs> all the quiet folk. Uh, so you, so you, did you? Did you graduate from there or did you end up? Okay. Graduated from there with a degree in like religion, philosophy, like a very general degree. Um, You know, not one denomination. Uh, Like one of my professors was a Methodist pastor. One was a Baptist preacher. One was like a Greek Orthodox. Uh, One, one was uh, assembly of God way out there. Guy. One was just a straight up, um, just hippie. I don't know. So there was all kinds of, you know, perspective. Rich Mullins went that's to that. Cool. That's cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Awesome guy. Yeah. That's kind of where some of his stories from. And, um, so you got a mixed message. So that kind of, that was probably your first introduction to, yeah, there's some new within Christianity, Christianity the very and Donald Miller and Rob Bell. And these are, you know, this is the first year I heard all these guys. And, oh yeah. Um, just a different perspective, but, uh, then the road and then, you know, Honestly, we haven't even talked about this part yet. When I moved back home to Wichita, when I had a son, um, I worked mental health with teens at, at a Prairie View in Newton and at a boys ranch called um, Kenlock Price uh, Youth Horizons Boys Ranch in Valley Center here. In Can- They're both in Kansas and uh, just kids that are in crisis mode and um, in the system and next stop is jail and self-harm and all kinds of stuff. So just again, when you're exposed to like some of these issues, some of this liberal nonsense starts to make more sense. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of context to what people are going through. Mm. Uh, and it, it really softened my heart for, you know, fam- it really set me up good for my own situation and just some, uh, um, you know, finding some encouragement and hope for those kids helped me find mine. You know, it was, it was a very interesting place to be in that, that time in life of like recovery in my own way while I'm with these kids that are dealing with that. So I'm back. I don't work on that. You know, I book for a, a couple of music venues downtown and have started more of a, a culture and, and this, my city, you know, just trying to invest in the, um, that's kind of my parish, but then, yeah, I am, I am in the church. Like you said, I'm still involved in the local church. And, um, yeah, the short story is 
got a divorce and moved back in with my parents, lived in the basement. Is can I can I ask a couple questions? Yeah, do it. Set the timeline straight. Um, so you mentioned having a kid. You mentioned having a divorce. Uh, what's the what's this timeline between going? Yes. You, you leave college. Do you get married? Having is a is nope, a left person college, you left college in two thousand eight. Okay, and was on the road until two thousand thirteen full time. Was living in Nashville two thousand thirteen to two thousand fifteen. Got married during that time, and then. We went through a separation, moved back to Kansas. Then we had our child in okay. 2016. And then we split, like divorced before he was even one. So okay. in in 2017, we split and he they still live here. She's a teacher, great, great mom. You know, we've got a good thing going on. It just didn't work out. And so the chasing down music again, you know, was working mental health jobs for a while. And now everything I do touches music again, doing booking stages in Wichita and then helping out with music at my church. Like I was saying that my mom's church, just the worship leader left. And I felt like an, you know, a jerk if I didn't help out. And so it was filling in for a while and, you know, never thought I would do music at a church, did not think that would be a fit for a guy like me. Um, just my background and, and just personality. And I didn't want to do worship songs and uh, just trying to be obedient to the stuff in front of me and a great, you know, community and family around me. Being a single dad, being a part of the local church has been amazing, man. And it really, um, yeah. And it, so many resources and not just that, just so many ways for me to serve and get up out of myself. Like I was saying, and, you know, bringing up this young, younger musicians and young band and, something I'm really passionate about, you know, I'm getting older. So like bringing up the next wave of musicians in the local scene and in the church, um, you know, worship's important. I think being so defensive of what that emotional manipulation looked like in church before, and now sure. being able to be a part of that and not manipulate and not, not um, abuse that and just be, uh, has been really, you know, healing for me. And I think has ministered to other people too. So yeah, I mean, I'm in a good spot with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure some of the guys you have on here are a little saltier, but, um, have come back. <laughs> <down to a laughs> no, I mean, yeah, some of them are. Can be a bit. <laughs> I think that's dope, man. I mean, what, we don't, what we like to do here is it, we, we're, we don't, it sounds uh, flippant to say we don't care where people end up, but like, that's not a concern of ours. Right. It's the journey, right? Not the yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like where people end up in spite of, because everyone ends up in so many different places and everyone's story is unique in a certain way. And, uh, but what I'm, what I've found with most of our guests, I, maybe there's one or two that maybe haven't, but most of them have like gone on like their journey and had these, faith shifts and if they've come back to it it looks different than it did when they were yeah it looks different than what was given to them when they were a child and or maybe they've come back to something that's very similar and they just have fresh eyes for it i don't know like there's we we've talked to so many people with varying experiences i think the journey is what's interesting to us because we understand the impact that our upbringing had on us like there's there's a through line for every single person who grew up in the evangelical church yeah. And they turn out different ways, and but it 
it's interesting to us how how it hits people and affects people and what trajectory it puts them on. So, you know, I myself am like, I, I still participate in the Christian faith and I'm part of a church. So like, uh, I've, I resonate with people like you. I don't, I probably would have a hard time finding myself in certain types of church settings. But one of the things that I'm hearing you say that I think is really interesting is that as someone who's, who's made music there, their life, their career and various avenues had, you know, who, who you're now back in a place where you can, it's important to you because it's, I mean, we all grew up in youth group, the amount of kids who were thirsty for music, who wanted to connect through music, who worship music was their only Avenue for it. If they don't have people with a good head on their shoulders to like guide them through that or show them good music or, yeah. Let them know that Show just, them the newest pillar yeah. album. Yeah. <laughs> Let them know that just doing music and is good enough. Like you don't you don't even have to do worship music. You can just care about your instrument. Yeah. Like whatever it is, there's so many ways in which someone who's had the experience you have can can turn that around for kids. And if people like you are gone from the church completely, you're just going to get that next worship pastor that tells somebody that they have to do worship music for if yeah. they're going to do music. And I think what you're saying is dope, man. So what are they? Yeah, what do people want? That that's what I'm interested in. People that are disillusioned is like, you want us all to go, like leave. Like to me, it's like it's even like a city like Wichita where we build something cool up, and then people leave. They go to another place. But I, I feel like the church is dealing with that. Where like the people that are smart now, it's like cool. You figured out some stuff. Yeah, we did some stuff wrong. Come on back. Y'all are talented. Find a way to plug in, and not because it's about you know, the church does a bad job of taking advantage of people and not paying them for their graphic design work and not paying them for their, for their playing and not paying, you know, if there is money, but they do, all it is is communication and some vision. You know, I think, I mean, you guys get me going on all kinds of things. I, I think, man, a lot of what you're saying about just getting back into church and, and being disillusioned with it in general, I think it just has to do with, individual actions right i mean it it comes back to really specific things that people said that just aren't true i think there's a lot of um people a lot more people on the same page we're not as fragmented as we think i mean it's 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 much like what's going on right in front of us i think it exposed our whole system of exchange i don't yeah we talked a lot about like the you know varying things that pull people into it and keep them there and you know, like my church and the group of people that I grew up around, it was like very much centered around like doctrine and knowing what's right and being right about things and knowing with 100% certainty that this is what it's supposed to be and this is how God intended and everything. And then you've got other churches that are maybe not so hardline on the doctrine, but they have this great like community aspect to them. Mm, family. And yeah, and like that was something that my church, I mean, I had a good community of people in my like age range, you know, but you know, I look back on it to like where my parents were at when we were growing up and there's like not that many people there that they could relate to and the ones that were their age and similar stages of life and everything, they weren't really doing anything, you know, and so I think that that was something that they always struggle with is like, there's just no one here for us. It's like obligation, you know, 
to keep coming here and we know we think this is right but this is the but that's the only thing like really holding us in this place that we're right so like exactly and and so like when i was growing up you know like the doctrine part started to fall apart for me after college and there was no community to keep me involved you know and part and that's not their fault that's my fault to some extent but uh you know for me when the when the the doctrinal side of it kind of fell out from under me like i was it was like pulling the bottom brick out of the wall and it was it like i there was just nothing for me there i had no emotional connection to it no friends that were keeping me there so like i just kind of left and uh peace yeah that's that's i think that's a mistake and that that that's another commitment aspect of that whole thing is like caring for the people around you you know caring for your local community and the community of the of the church itself is like investing in people that are next to you in the pew and like it's really easy to put a uh, an envelope in the plate as it goes by and say the you know all the hey good to see you brothers and then just walk out the door and be done with it yeah. until the next week and I think it's it's an easy routine to fall into, but like that's ultimately like why it didn't. I think it didn't strike a chord for a lot of people, or eventually it just sort of gave out on them. Like you know, I mean, what about when it does go bad? Like yeah, yeah, no groundwork for that. I'm with you, man. It was all fundamental, and then but then I'd be around situations that were all emotional. You know, to, to find that balance. I don't know. So, were you a Christian rock kid? I mean, I was pretty sheltered. I didn't even find tooth and nail till I was like in college, like like under oath until I was like already in college. Yeah. Oh no way! <laughs> somebody gave me an Emory CD, like my freshman year of college, and heard that. Yeah. Okay, that was opening not- track on that one CD was like everybody's <laughs> intro. Wolf. And then. <laughs> When they'll never not play that at any show ever. I bet they're so sick of that song. No, they they close every show with it. When Devin stepped down from that band, one of the singers, I got to be in that band for a couple of years. Oh, no shit. 2015 and 16. And it was full circle weirdness, man. Like being that same kid that was in the front row reaching up. Now I'm on stage reaching down. Like it was, but I was just filling in. I mean, it, but it was fun. Yeah. It was a good time. So you had a, you had a Christian metal stage. Oh, for sure, man. I'm a hardcore kid at heart. For yes. sure. Yes. Yeah. See, yeah. We've we've talked about it a bunch of times, but like I have the musical taste of like a 13 year old. Yeah. I'm just never <laughs> pulling out of there. Just gonna be hey there, listening to the latest like deathcore band until I'm dead. Right. <laughs> they need fans. It's fun. I I I took this drift. I drifted hard out of heavy music for a long. For a while, a number of years, and got really big into into a lot of like rap and hip hop, and I mean probably five, six, seven years was that was That's mostly cool. what I was into, and but the past couple of years, I have found myself drifting back into just heavy shit. They're similar, and, dude. <laughs> there, dude, there is a lot of similarities uh, in the way that you like they both in the way that the beat flows <laughs> and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is why when they did Punk Goes Crunk, it worked. Yeah. (laughs) Like the the scream patterns and the the rap cadence isn't all that dissimilar. (laughs) You're so right, though. But uh, 
I'm like into bands that I never cared about before. Like I, everyone's been into them for so long. I shit on them for a long time. Did not uh, give a fuck. I'm worried about what you're going to say. I'm, so let's see. Let's see how this plays out. Uh, knocked Loose. No, oh, frick, yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're just here. It's awesome. The video's dope, too, dude. That band, that dude scream. I can't. I feel like I'm going to throw up if I mimic like one verse of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, gosh, dude. The first couple times I heard him, I was like, this shit's not for me. I don't like this, like, just heavy. Ang- I, oh. I was out of it at the time, and something changed in me, man. I, maybe I got saved because yeah i'm like i i my friend sent me the um uh, like just talked about their new he he wasn't a knocked loose guy either and then he's like oh this new ep yeah fire knock loose loathe i don't know if you know loathe Mm -hmm. i let it in and it took everything it's a full length dude they're a london check it out because i'm looking for more stuff amazing and then the new every time i die is hard dude it goes hard it's i haven't listened to that yet yeah I, a friend of mine just mentioned every time I die because there's I, he mentioned there's similarities between Knock Loose. Well, I, I missed the boat on that. Dude. I can't stop listening to that. Dude. Evergreen Terrace? No, Turnstile. Oh, why do I think Evergreen you just Terrace Evergreen is still a band? I don't know. I honestly Apparently. heard Evergreen Terrace, so I'm losing my mind. <laughs> and you heard what you wanted to hear. That was like the second metal album I ever got, or whatever you know, metalcore. I, I like got. What was it? Uh, Haste of the day. What was their big? When everything falls. Yeah. And then. Dude, they play like like seriously like a like a floor show. Yeah. That was a fun band to see. That was like the first metal show I ever went to was Haste of the day, and then the second album I got was uh, Sincerity is an easy disguise in this business by Evergreen Terrace. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Solid, solid stuff. stuff. <laughs> solid stuff. New label, solid stuff. Yeah, solid stuff. <laughs> we played. I was in a band called Abandoned Kansas for a long time, and we played the okay. We play with Haste the Day a lot, and um, not similar at all. But they were just friends, and we're. In, but we got to play their bass player Mike, who was in the band the whole time. He was like one of the few guys that was in the band the whole time. And we played his wedding, man. We went up to Indiana and played the wedding. And yeah, it was good. Those are good boys, man. That, yeah, that's an awesome band. Yeah, yeah. Legends. It was sweet how they came back like years later and made that album with like a bunch of the different members. Yes, it's a great it awesome. record, too. I actually yeah. don't think I ever listened to that album. No. There's a couple I'm, songs. I'm writing with everything Jimmy. down we're talking about so I can go ahead and find songs, something to listen to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going to have new notes. Man, okay, so you probably got to tour with some of those bands then, I would imagine. What, Who's like the coolest, love to hang out with them, love to play with them, excited to go on tour with them? Dang, I got to go way back. We did a tour. My band put out a record in 2011, and The Wedding and Showbread opened. Okay. Oh, the Wedding, dude, the- I forgot about them. From Indian Lakes, who's a great band. Like, they're crushing it now. And then, uh, who was the other band? Mike Mains and the Branches. They were all on that tour. That was a great run. All those bands. Dude, um, our little, like, fun, you know, anecdote. Because, dude, 21 Pilots played with us. Oh, no way. Shows in, in Ohio. Huge. 
when they were still just a three and four piece band. Those are great guys. I mean, we had traveled a lot with House of Heroes and Josh Dunn, who's in Twenty One Pilots, had played drums in House of Heroes for a while, and had just befriended him. And man, those guys are like one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah, How- they're enormous now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's one of those bands that you find people who are like acolytes of Twenty One Pilots. You know, that like yeah. know all the backstories to every song, know all the lyrics and stuff. Like, I've got a friend that's just head over heels into them. They came to our own arena here in Wichita and it didn't matter deep track or hit the whole arena knew every lyric to every song, you know, it was, <laughs> it was wild to see that, you know, they never even been here before. No, That's awesome. I, I'm trying to think of other band experiences. Yeah. A lot of good and a lot of good, like I was saying before, like a lot of my peers are either crushing it right now or are done. So <laughs> us guys that are still hanging on for dear life, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Dude, Wichita is funny because like I've been to some shows here mm-hmm. since I moved here, and a lot of them have been great. It's like you get a limited amount of bands that come through, so when they do come through, it's like everybody's there and they're making the most of it. You know, it kind of reminds me of Lynchburg. Lynchburg, we were there. Nice. Yeah, that's where Sam and I met was at Liberty. Yeah. Well, Wichita shows. Oh, man. I went to one a, a couple of years ago, before COVID, of course, but uh, uh, Norma Jean came through and played Rock Island Live. Rock Island, that's a tiny place, man. It was such a fun show. Yeah, that's And cool. like, I booked Gideon the- was there. Great. Yeah. There was, a, there was a couple, I forget who else was on that show, but it was really fun. Um. Went to one that wasn't necessarily like a metal show, but uh, 12 Foot Ninja played at the Cotillion. And I forget yeah. who they were with. What is so much fun? What does it sound like? Is that a DJ or something? They're a very strange Australian, like, it's not good. Hard Casey rock band. It. It's not good. Sam hates it. Good. See, Sam doesn't like a lot of new things. No. So. Uh, are they new? Are they new? I don't. I don't like a lot of bad things. I would definitely say that. And I'm yeah. not into it. <laughs> for, for on paper, having similar musical tastes, uh, he, he takes a lot of dumps on bands that I said. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because you like weird shit sometimes. <laughs> because they go for like, the, uh, to me, it's like one of those, it's just a gimmicky band. I don't, I can't, as soon as I feel like a band is doing like a gimmick or having a shtick, I'm like, I'm out so fast. I think it's, but the, even just the vibe of the music, I'm, I'm out. It's not for me. It's it's weird. I'll give you that. It's weird. But you like, uh, oh god, what's the one that we've been we both been listening to? Um, Sleep token. Sleep token. Yeah, nice it's a gimmicky. They he's got a gimmick going on. Uh, he does, but he does. That band fucks. So I'm. I'm <laughs> Is that so same? Dang, I gotta catch up. I don't know. I probably isn't. I probably should stop saying that. I keep it alive. All right. I, let's talk about. So obviously you've been on tour. You've done all the music things. I want to talk about like your your musical experiences, your tour. Like you you've it's hearing like knowing what you're doing now. So you're doing, you know, uh, you got a band called Glass Age, uh, and then another one that I was Crusoe. Like, yeah. Caruso is uh, what I was introduced, like how I, I started yeah. talking to you was through your Caruso page. Uh, but those bands aren't like the ones that we've been talking about. So like, when did you start 
like really playing music when did you hit the road what kind of music were you into what kind of band were you in like and how did you and i want to map the trajectory from how you started there and got to what you're doing now because i think from what i've listened to i've checked out Caruso, i've checked out glass age i i i'm digging it man that's why i wanted to have you on like i don't know anything about you but i hear your music and i think this shit's good uh and it made me want to have a conversation with you so i want to kind of kind of map your musical journey so yeah like you said class age is the new thing crusoe is a film and tv project that i'm doing with an artist named zade wolf he has like you can't watch a field goal kick or like a penalty kick or like a go to timeout without hearing one of his songs in a bumper he just crushes that like stadium sports music you know the okay new, the new jock jam but i make crusoe music with him for like tv and film specifically it's like a outlet for that so glass age is more the artistic uh outlet the the band that i cut my teeth on and grew up in front of people with and like went from shitty local band to you know label band was called abandoned kansas two words like Kind of like a band. Oh, abandoned can- Oh, holy shit, dude! Yeah, I'm definitely familiar with that band name. I that's yeah, me too. I never, I didn't, I didn't even realize that's as fun. So I, we at Friends University, we had some songs, and then hit. The, did the last semester of college, like you know, the spring of 2008 on online, and went ahead and we're on the road. We were on the road all. We played Cornerstone 2007, 2008. Like we were doing all the. We we're doing youth groups and bars. Some nights we do youth group and a bar, you know, depending like we do the colleges, the Christian festivals, the the city market, the what you know, we were doing every DIY touring from like 2007, 2008. Then we signed a record deal with Goatee Records, Toby Max record uh, label. Okay. Out of Nashville. I had Reliant K and House of Heroes and I am terrified and family force five at the time and then it kind of split from there uh we never did a tour with reliant k we did a lot of tours with house of heroes we put out an ep in 2009 a full length in 2011 another ep in 2013 and then they had us doing some christian bullshit like we could not make a career out of it so we tried to co-write and make a christian hit and it couldn't have gone worse like to zoom in on that moment, like <laughs> they replaced our drums and guitars and everything and made it. They just uh, took the balls off of it, basically. Like I'm I'm on an acoustic tour trying to raise money for some other stuff and like solo. And I, I'm like with a peer of mine that I respect. I'm like, you want to hear the mix? Do you mind, you know, listen to your own stuff? And then it comes on and it's acoustic guitar. And I'm like, we didn't play acoustic in the studio. <laughs> so they just replaced <laughs> all the stuff. Put out this hit, put out this Christian radio hit anyway. And what's worse is it didn't even work. You know, at least if it would have worked and we could have, you know, so our fan base is like, what are you doing? The actual market said, we don't like it. So then we got kind of left in the middle. (laughs) We left our record deal, put out a few songs and they're still our best three songs like plays wise. Cause it's also the age of Spotify 2013. We put out, um, a few songs did okay with those. And then in 2015, I put out a full length on bad Christian Emery's label. After I had oh, no them, they did, they released the full length for that. The last record for that band. 
we did like a six month or six week uh, acoustic tour, uh, kind of nationwide to support that album. A lot of people that had given to the crowdfund had like bid for a house show, so we were fulfilling all that. And then that band dissolved. So that was 2015. Moved okay. back to Utah, and was that know, around the time that you 2015? Yeah, so that sounds like around the time that you were getting. Was that around the time you were kind of going through your separation? Your kid was on the way. I was going out with Emery. I was on the living room tour. I moved my family to Nashville, which was a bad move. You know, I moved my wife, newly married, took her away, from the, and then I left. You know, and so it just broke that connection. Yeah. It just and, and so we moved back together in two thousand end of two thousand fifteen. So and then we had our child in two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Dude, that dynamic of like having uh like I traveled for my company for three years when we first moved here. So we moved from Michigan to Kansas, um, set up shop. We were gonna build a house, so we lived in a rental house. Actually, you probably know where it is. You know where eighty one speedway's at? Yeah. You know that stone house across the street? What? We lived in there for a year. That's like <laughs> definitely haunted. <laughs> definitely leaky basement but uh you know uh we moved moved in there while we built our house and for three years like i traveled two to three weeks a month and man. my wife was here by herself and it was tough man i mean it was never like it wasn't tough on our connection but it was really tough for her personally like just to know that like you know you're headed out again on sunday and going to be alone again for another five, six days. I'll be honest. It was tough for me on a lot of levels. She was resentful that I moved her, that I was out doing music, out having fun. I was getting a ton of attention, a ton of, you know, approval from all my peers. I mean, it really put the rocks on us, man. Yeah, that's tough, man. I was like, why am I talking to you, making time, protecting this phone call? And I've got people here that want to be around. Like male or female. I just, I mean, I got people that want me to do me and you don't want me to do me. It was a lot of, anyways, I feel that though. The distance either way is hard. We had an extra resentment factor there, but. Yeah, that's a lot, man. I mean, to, you know, when you're, you know, you're young, you're trying to figure it out. Like you're trying to all, everyone's trying to live their dream. And it's like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like there's so many factors going on and, you know, it's like, I don't want to be a bad person and say, I don't want you to do it. So then you do it, but then that causes problems. It's like, right. and then that's, what's interesting about like, I guess even taking it back to the evangelical church, right. That we grew up in. It's like, there's this like, absolutely not. No, it's like no divorce. You can't, if you get a divorce, it's because you're, you're not trusting God and you're not, somebody's wrong. Somebody's doing something right. wrong. And <laughs> And if it look, say you were the one doing something wrong, well, your wife is now the one doing something wrong by not sticking by you no matter what, because that's what Christ would do for the church. Words. And like all that like strong language, dude. And then you get to a point where it's like, or two young people fell in love, got married, went in different directions, shit hit the fan. And you know, you, you called it quits before you raise a kid in a, in turmoil like this, like, but that's something that doesn't really compute with, with, yeah, with young people stuff. were scared. Their dry humps would become a wet hump. And so yeah. they had to get married. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy petting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. There was, there was some, it was always awkward 
when the church had to handle those situations because like my church was very much the Bible is to be interpreted literally exactly as it says. There's no gray areas. There's no contradictions. Words. (laughs) Exactly. And if you're confused, find somebody who took a semester of Greek and he can tell you the three definitions for that word that might mean something else. And then we get to pick the one that makes the most sense for what we already think. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I feel like I would have a hard time in church now because the minute somebody was like, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the original Greek meaning of this word. I'd be like, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was tough with divorce because what the Bible lays out like a couple of scenarios in which divorce is like, okay, but then there's rules on like who you can marry and what you can do after you've divorced. And it was always like, it's not realistic. It's not how anyone's situation works out. We just didn't get the whole story clearly. So, yeah, th- there's a lot of problematic pieces, I feel like, that we don't have script for right now. I mean, the trans issue period and divorce and just America, I feel like. <laughs> like America's in the Bible. What are you talking about, dude? I don't know what you're talking about. America is the Bible. I don't know, just to believe this is going to crumble at any point. I don't know. (laughs) That instead of cheer for it, you know, cheer for the country. I don't know. I know. It's, it's, it it feels like everything's going off the rails a little bit more uh, now than even when we were. The church's response to COVID was tough, man. It was, it was hard. Even, even being in a church, it was hard to know the right thing to do. You get, you got the, you got hate mail either way. I mean, it, yeah, uh, yeah, I can definitely see that. Every bit, like every business. I mean, so now it's hard to even trust. Like, so El Dorado's closest town to me, you know. And when you're driving through El Dorado from east to west, there's a big sign in the front of this yard. It's like a, it's like a, an advertisement, basically. <laughs> but it's got this scripture verse on there about like be not afraid and trust in the lord and stuff and there's nothing explicitly about covid on it but you every time you drive by it you're like i know what you're doing (laughs) i know what you're doing why are you putting that out like what are you trying to do it's just uh, i don't know it's it's like a it's a taint on the community that's gonna be hard to get rid of but putting up that billboard looks like a spirit of fear like to me, like, <laughs> right? Quoting the scripture, like I don't get the irony. It's it's bizarre how dense some people are. Yeah, this so is the you- generation that believed televangelists, right? I mean, it worked for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. So what were you gonna say? No, I was just curious as whether or not you have any, like, if there's any difficulty because it's you said you're. I sorry, is the church that you're in now the one that? You started doing worship in because like when the worship pastor left. Yes. Yeah. That's that's the most recent church experience I've had. Yeah. I've been there two years. Yeah. And that, is that like a kind of somewhat typical evangelical church or. I would say so. Yeah. Has that been, is there any aspect of that that's hard for you to be in? Are you just okay with like, if I'm being perfectly honest, my level of discomfort in that sphere is, and this is, could you could argue as a me issue like i would like the i would like it if i was a in a in a place where i could be in a scenario like that and just be me 
and not be like a ball of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't still participate in it myself if I was looking for a faith community, but like, it sounds like you've made so many faith shifts and, and that you're, you're in a good spot and that, that, that the, maybe the evangelical church doesn't exactly line up with who you are or what you think, but you seem like you're doing okay there. Like, is there, is there any part of you that has a hard time with that? Do you get to, to stuff roll off your back easy? Kind of where are you at as far as being in that setting? It's a good question, man. Sometimes, sometimes stuff rolls off my back. I know it's just like a, a trigger. It's just, it's just language. that's the same from when I was young. It's not the same actions going on. I think people come back to the same tropes and say that I even find myself saying some things where I'm like, why did I say that? Like, yes, I feel you on that, dude. I've been yeah, in it, you know, we're not cause I don't believe it, but just like, that's not the main thing I wanted to say. And that's how I wrapped it up. And, um, I think for me, it, I just know better. Like, I don't think my church is doing it right. I just know better than to be a curmudgeon and sit in the sideline. Like, I just want to get my hands dirty and get involved in the same thing Gandhi said, right? The change I want to see in the church, the stuff I want to see. I don't want to sit back and be, you know, if you need to leave your church, leave your church, but find another one. Like I, the the worst part is people that step out the whole program. I think overall the idea is good. I think it, the community involvement and I think being exposed to other perspectives, I think it pushes me to consider even to, to, to be honest, my Facebook feed annoys me. Right. But then to go and sit with some of these people that feel that way and know that I disagree with like 60% of what they're saying but I don't have to 100% hate them and I don't have to be rude to their kids mm -hmm. and I don't have to like cut them off in conversation with my point and I don't have to defend anything because it doesn't matter right then in that in that space we're trying to all focus on something outside of us and yes I think people misinterpret it and confirmation biases in the room and all these things but I think you have a culture that a church that will let people coexist and be wrestling. And, you know, in, I know that me as a worship leader does more question asking than answer giving. Um, and just, just make space. I think, I think to touch on what I was talking about earlier to grow up in a tradition that was no emotion and then to lean too far into emotion and then to reclaim some of that balance of like, I, I do fully believe the Holy Spirit still speaks to us through the emotional plane, the unseen, the imaginative. I mean, hope comes from faith comes from something we cannot see. So that's an imagination aspect to that. And maybe that gets kind of granola for some Christian people. But like, I think um, ushering people into that place doesn't have to be abusive. It can be powerful. I mean, I think it can be beneficial. I think people come to church looking for something. So, you know, I, I think give offering what they, the moment for what they came for, but not demanding it, you know, not demanding that exchange that, 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 uh, you know, the guy standing at the end of the, 
the aisle when we were kids with the there's like 16 verses of i surrender <laughs> all and like if you don't go say something to him then he's gonna feel like an idiot so somebody has to go quickly resurrender uh not that i think just giving people space to consider something different is important so yeah man i don't where i'm at right now i think I think God weeps with the people that are weeping. I think he mourns with people that are losing right now with with painful situations. I, I think there's a bad, you know, connotation of some kind of victorious, vengeful leader uh, that's not Donald Trump, you know. So just trying to undo some of that. I don't want to back off totally. I want to be there. I want to, I, you know, I don't. I want to take the mic. Like, why don't I, why don't us guys go take the mic? Us guys that can, can do it and have heart for it and can sing, go take the mic instead of shying away from the church, go take the mic. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't, that's not my whole point of today, but it's kind of, I, go ahead, Casey. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't know. It just makes so much sense to me. And I yeah. think, I think to live in a place like Wichita, you know, and I'm not a church goer, but a lot of the people I know are, and mm. the vast majority of people I know here are conservative. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear people talk about like um, cutting people out who don't think a certain way or have certain beliefs or something like, you know, like the, the, the one that comes to mind is like, it's not enough to be, to not be racist. You got to be anti-racist. And I get the sentiment there. And I think it's good. But getting confrontational with somebody because they don't have this like ideal view of that issue. If if your goal is to elevate that person to a new place, you know, to where they understand the the nuances of that conversation and they understand that, you know, how to put themselves in other people's shoes and stuff like getting confrontational with them doesn't work. No, you feel good and maybe you get to demonstrate your position and you get to really state loudly what you think about it. And I'm, I must feel good, but it doesn't change people's minds. And I think that like you, you, the best thing you can do is just to stay with that person and have a good conversation with them and not be, you know, confrontational, but just show them like what the other side of the coin can look like, you know, and that's what changes hearts and minds over time. Not the like, you know, fire and brimstone sermon. And yeah, I don't know, man, it's that's that's a tough thing nowadays, because I feel like it's like anything else. Things that don't cost someone anything are easy to take a hard stance on. Right. We saw that all growing up through church. The guy who doesn't drink at all can take a really harsh stance on drinking and how horrible it is and how no one would ever do that that was serious about you know their testimony and stuff but the things that do cost him something like you know he talked about like giving and and uh you know accumulating wealth and stuff like probably doesn't have such a harsh stance on that if he is a wealthy guy you know and i think the same thing goes with all of that like if you don't have all these people in your life that don't line up with you ideologically to tell someone to cut those people out is is pretty easy for you but you know for for a, if you live here where 90% of the people you interact with on a daily basis are the type of person they're talking about it's like dude i can't 
cut those people. Like, and and I don't want to. I mean, there there's a lot of great people that just don't completely line up with you ideologically, and you got to find a way to maintain a connection with them. And hopefully, by doing that, you can move them towards a more you know compassionate view of things. Yeah. No. Well said. Yeah. I want. It, it makes me. This is, I feel like it's kind of meme a little bit. Like there's this, there's a kind of person that gets choked on who takes the position of, I don't want to leave the church. I, I want to fix it from within. And then they, they, they have all these hills to die on and fix it with from it. And what's interesting about what you're saying and what I'm hearing you say is, I think there's a version of, of that that is only going to result in complete and total exhaustion because those people are coming at it from an approach of like that it it shifts it to a mission right my mission is to change the leadership change the viewpoints change everything so that way from top down this becomes something that looks more like me and i think what i'm hearing you say and that sounds incredibly healthy and it sounds i i like i've really enjoyed hearing your perspective on it is that you're just okay. Like you're just okay being, you've come, you know who you are. You've come to terms of who you are yeah. and you know who these people are and you, you have a position to bring people into something, whether it's just music, maybe it's not even Christian. Maybe you're just providing a musical Avenue for some of these kids who only have this, this outlet, that's their outlet. But maybe you get to talk to somebody Maybe you can say, hey, that's really interesting, man. That's cool. That you, that's interesting that you think that way. I think a little bit differently, but here, we don't even have to get into it. Or maybe you present your opinion or you don't like this. But what I what I think is great about what you're saying is like, you're not even, it doesn't even sound like you're there for a mission that's going to burn you out. And I think that's what happens to people. Like, yeah, there's an institutional aspect of evangelicalism that probably can't be fixed, but you're not trying to fix that. I'm hearing, I'm hearing that you're trying to build relationships with people within it. And yeah. that you can bridge certain gaps and you have a, a, a voice. So I, I love it, man. I, I'm, I'm so glad we got to hear that perspective. And I would think if, you're, if you want to change the worship culture, of your church, you were focused on relationships on your worship team. I mean, it's not about doing new songs or finding new lights or the led screen. You know, it's, it's something about the unity and singularity of people leading you sense it when you go see a band, you know, when they're on the same page and when they're bringing something, a message that's clear and they're, they're doing what they do best. They're not trying to reach for this, they're not trying to reach for that. They're doing what they do best. And I think, you know, I, I really do think there's a piece there. I, when you were talking, I, I was thinking about how that sin of gluttony got ignored at my church. <laughs> at every church. <laughs> Especially Baptists. <laughs> like they're literally wearing it. You know, these big old fupas. Just <laughs> like you know, and and nobody's talking about and they're dying and we're burying them. And we're like, we're gonna see that brother in heaven. You know, and nobody's talking about it. He's literally wearing his, you know, porn log on his stomach. You know, as far <laughs> as inappropriate eating. Yeah, if that guy sucked a dick once, he would be in hell. But yeah, you know, exactly. gluttony is fine. <laughs> oh if he had, yeah, and he even thought about it, right? That's but I think the hierarchy of sins and just some of the jacked up stuff. I think, I think what's interesting being in church now is is you know obliterating all of that and just being 
encouraging folks to step into themselves. I mean it, I mean it, yeah, that burnout thing's real, man. If you think you're going to save the whole world, I think it's investing in people around you, investing in your community. I think, I think Jesus's model is, is great. I, you know, I do believe in Jesus. I do think, um, he does most of the work on his own. I think we're just supposed to do what we're best at, you know, as far as the, the great commission, you know, the, we've been talking about missions some and when you're supposed to bring it up and tell people and sell and pitch the thing. But I, I mean, I really think you functioning as a healthy human being will always be like, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, in <laughs> it, it, you know, so being not like he's some diet that you got to try, but just, um, you know, leaning into that, that, and just doing what you do, not trying to package it in some kind of spin. I don't, I've, I've been grateful to work with the church. That's not trying to do that. You know, just trying to invest mm-hmm. in people. And, you know, I think God does have a purpose for folks. So trying to help them meet that. I mean, I, I think that's important. Not, not get their ticket to heaven and wait and then tithe until then, but like connect people with their God given purpose uh, to serve and, and meet people. I mean, I'm passionate about that for sure. That's awesome. There was, a, uh, there was a Christian comedian that did an event that I went to at some point, and he had this whole bit about like how much harder it would be to to like deal with gluttony if you gained weight in like your forehead instead of your belt line. <laughs> His whole thing was like, "I gotta get to the gym. I can't see a thing. <laughs> I can't read my Bible." That's pretty funny, dude. I'll shit on Christian comics all day, but that's a solid bit. <laughs> He's a funny guy. That's funny, man. So I, I, I love this. I, I, I really do appreciate your perspective, man. I, I, I before we kind of jump off here, I want to. I, I know you know we we did talk about your your experience in the music world, and then how that shifted when you moved, and now you're you've kind of got a couple of different projects going on. Um, I I don't know if you got, if you're hit, if you hit the road at all, I don't know what you kind of got going on with those projects specifically, but why don't we just kind of finish out with you plugging some of your stuff a little bit more instead of mentioning it in passing. Yeah, man, people can check out the music, uh, abandoned Kansas. We talked about that. It's two words. We have a cover band now that's four words, a band in Kansas. Okay. <laughs> like 2000s, like Guitar Hero songs, but you leaned fully into the joke. Uh, and then Crusoe. But then the newest project I'm working on, yeah, Glass Age, uh, making a new record, finishing it up in Nashville next month in November. Um, Is this a solo thing or you got a band? No, it's a you? full band. Yeah, it's a full band, like alternative okay. rock kind of stuff. Kind of, you know, not far from what I was doing the band in Kansas. It's, I always want to think it's something new, but it's hard to escape yourself. But um, I don't know if you're fans of like the killers or Deftones or death calves somewhere in that like emotional indie rock space. And uh, yeah, making a new record with Jay Hall over in Nashville. Going to get that out, working on a crowdfund right now, kind of doing like the independent route. We did that with the last record too. And just been the best way to kind of bypass the whole sluggish music biz and, uh, get the music right to the fans and and go tour on it. But um, that's the newest project. Yeah, Glass Age. I'd be stoked if you guys checked it out. Got some new songs up. Yeah, no, it's really good, man. I, I listened to it after I started connecting with you. I I threw that on and I listened to what you had for a good 
few days, put it on That's repeat, awesome, had it on in the background while I was working, trying to soak it in. It's it's really good. So everyone definitely should check it out. We'll link to you know where we'll figure all that out, but we'll link to wherever you're at. You you get that on Instagram, Twitter, I don't know. Wherever yeah, you, Glass you Age Man on yeah, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok is where everybody's at. That's where we're yeah. supposed to be at right now. <laughs> Making funny TikToks. I can't dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Appreciate man. Appreciate you guys having me on here, man. I, I thought that yeah. was cool. We messaged oh, yeah. and, the, you know, thanks to, I guess, Christian Nightmares for getting this hooked up. Right? I know, it's for sure. Bud. We got, uh, we'll be we'll be with Christian Nightmares again pretty soon here, so keep an eye out for that. Yep. All right. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.